0: hi everyone and welcome to tea and the law of raspberry jam a podcast by victor sesson and me esther derby in which we talk about coaching systems agile management culture continuous improvement and whatever all sketches are interested at the minute and right now we're interested in questions how they function how to structure them how to ask better questions so let's get going Ask questions all the time. And I think sometimes questions are not nearly as effective as they could be. Because we, for the most part, learn to ask questions from the way we hear our parents and our teachers asking questions. You know, we learn through observation and imitation. And very often, the questions that we are asked in school are, you know, there is one right answer. We are often asked closed questions. We might be given a multiple choice, which is a variation on a closed question. And we really want to examine questions from a different standpoint so we can become more conscious in our use of them.
1: So we're here today to talk about the architecture of questions. And we're going to be developing from the ideas of many, but in particular in this conversation from Eric Voigt, Juanita Brown, and David Isaacs. And when we talk about architecture, we mainly refer to construction of a question and the scope of a question. And let's start with construction. Let's do. So construction is, I mean, you have the who questions, what questions, when, where, which, why, and how questions. These are different constructions of questions. They all spark different kinds of thinking. And some of these are more powerful and some of these are less powerful. I think it's good to start with defining what powerful means because I think some people are going to disagree or have a hard time agreeing with at least the why questions.
0: The use of the word powerful in itself, I think, has some resonance for people because it's used a lot by coaches when they talk about asking powerful questions. So, I mean, I know people who carry around index boxes full of powerful questions, some of which may be and some of which may not be. So when I think about powerful questions, I think about questions that generate some movement a shift in perspective, seeing new possibilities, new options for action. And yet, sometimes we need to understand what was going on beforehand in order for people to have insights. The questions that may not seem as powerful often are super useful for gaining an understanding of what the situation is.
1: And when it comes to why questions, I remember when taking your PSL class and your coaching beyond the team, we talk about why questions and you say that you are very conscious about when you use them and you don't use them often. Mm-hmm. At least in Sweden, there was a, both times I took your class because I took them twice, there was a lot of discussion about how why questions are good and like how do you ask powerful questions without the why and this mm-hmm. is what we've learned.
0: We have been taught to ask why questions. Well, you want to know the why. And my hesitation about it is that, particularly when you're asking people to explain their own actions or to explain why something is going on, people come up with a rationale, right, which doesn't necessarily reveal what is going on in the environment. So I think if you're trying to understand what's going on systemically, how, what, when questions give you a much better sense of what's going on with the system. They give you a much better understanding of the pattern than someone's story about what's going on with the pattern. Furthermore, I think, particularly if you're looking at a system, why questions people feel a little put on the spot? You know, why do you do it that way? It feels like they have to justify something that they may not have a cogent answer to. So they make something up. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I tend to, I want to know why, but I want to know what's going on in the system that leads to the pattern. Sometimes I want to know the
1: why, not always, and not as much as I used to. Because the why, if we're looking forward, like we want forward momentum, why doesn't really help with that? Mm. It entrenches thinking in the past. And sometimes it's really important, but you rarely need to ask the why question. And because you could ask, how did you arrive at this conclusion? Or what conclusion are you drawing? Or what data mm-hmm. or what happened that led to this decision is a very different question than why are you doing things this way?
0: Or when does this happen? Yeah, you know, When do you feel this way? I mean, that's a very different question than why do you feel this way? Well, I don't know why. you know, And so you make up an answer. But if you say, when do you feel this way? So even with a personal exploration, I think you can get really useful insights without asking that. Constructing your question as a why question. The part
1: about the why usually triggers people because it's one of the tools we've been taught to rely on a lot. And maybe or may not be effective in individual coaching. Yeah. I mean, I am an individual coach as well, but even there I use the why question very rarely.
0: Yeah, that's the way I roll too. I think you can get a lot of really useful reflection without asking a why which causes people to make up a story.
1: Summarizing what we've said so far, the linguistic construction of a question makes a critical difference. It can either open our mindset or narrow down the possibilities. It can look backwards, it can look at here and now, or it can look forward. It can be a closed question in disguise, which is the multiple options question, or it can be completely open.
0: Well, I want to say just a little bit more about closed questions because I find they very often lead people astray. So you're familiar with simulation we do in the PSL workshop where very often people will ask a very specific question and a yes, no question. And I will give a truthful answer and a completely accurate answer, but they then miss the big picture. And actually that's part of what I try to convey to people in PSL is that Your questions are part of your ability to be effective. And yes, no questions are useful for confirming specific information, but they are not useful for gaining a big picture and understanding the context.
1: And this goes a little bit back to our previous episode about the intention behind a question.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Okay, let's move on to scope. Scope has a huge impact on the kind of thinking and forward momentum that questions can generate. Yes. So it's not only important to be aware of how words we use influence the effectiveness. It's also important to look at the level of our question. Just consider the difference. If you're working with a team and you're asking a question, just consider the difference in how can we collaborate better in our team? How can we collaborate better in our organization? How can we collaborate better within different companies in the entire industry? These scopes can either empower and help a team think clearly and solve problems, or it can completely disable them.
0: So let's give an example about that. So if you're working with a work group, my initial bias is to help them figure out what they can do within their own sphere of influence, their own scope, so they have developed some sense of agency. So then I want to focus questions on what they can actually do something about. So how can we best manage the work that comes into our group? So then in that case, I'm not talking about, you know, what is the flow of work into your team? How are things prioritized across the company? I'm specifically looking at how can we best manage the work that comes into our group, which is someplace where they have agency. And by that, I mean they can make decisions and take risks on their own behalf. So that's scoping it into where their control and influence is. Very different from a question like, You know, how can we best manage our product backlog or how can we best manage the way our company chooses what products to work on?
1: Yeah, but if you're working with a VP of product, those questions are much more relevant.
0: Well, they're in scope for a VP of product. Yes. But they aren't in scope for a team. So one thing I see come up very often in Twitter discussions and other discussions is people will say, well, why are you trying to optimize at the team level? You need to be working at the full product. Are they building the right thing? Are they producing value? Yes. And if you're working with a team that's outside their control, that's not their scope, right? So you start with the scope that people have and use questions that prompt them to think about their context and what they can actually have an impact on. And once people get that, then you can move beyond, you can look at a different scope. But I think asking people questions that are beyond their scope of control, you know, may be an interesting exercise, but I don't think it necessarily, at least initially, helps movement.
1: I'm very cautious about the maybe an interesting exercise. I'm concerned it will disable the team and just create frustration. I'd rather work in parallel on so here are the things we can control that are in our influence, and then take the other parts outside and work with management on them. And if I don't have access to management, because a lot of coaches, team coaches, are in that situation, there are always escalation routes. Sure. If you have observations, feedback, and advice, you can send that through. So here are some things that the teams can solve. Yeah, so... I'm just so passionate about this because I work with so many coaches, they're trying to change everything at the same time, or they get into this rigid binary either or, like, oh, I'm only going to work on the bigger system, I'm not going to help out the teams at all, or I'm only going to work with the teams, and you can work on both.
0: Well, I think you can work with individuals, teams, and the organization, right? But the timing is important. So like you said, I would first work with the team on what they can control and gain agency for. And once they have some sense of agency, then I might expand the scope a little bit so they understand the broader context. So they don't have that sort of, oh, we're just this little unit in the company. We're only us and we don't have a bigger context. So then I might expand the scope to talk about, you know, well how work flows in and then they can learn about influencing the system. But it's a progression. It's not where I start, because I want agency.
1: Yeah. And even within the same team, there are different realms of influence. So if a team is working on something, you could later on talk to the product manager, because their realm of influence may be greater than the team's. Yep. Okay, so that's construction and scope. Yeah. So if you want to get better at construction and scope, what are some tips we can send through?
0: Well, we are going to include in the show notes some notes about what types of questions are useful, how questions give you a sense of how things work, what questions might tell you about what can be observed, when and where tell you about sequence and where things show up. So we're going to include some notes about that in the show notes.
1: All right. So I think that's it for this episode. And in the next episode, we're going to be talking about assumptions behind questions.
0: (gasps) Questions have assumptions? Yes, they do. Always. 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 They do. <laughs> yeah. All right, but that's it for today.
1: Okay, thanks a lot.
0: All right, bye-bye. bye
1: bye. Bye.